daily tasks like unlocking our phones to more extensive crime investigations, our countenance has become a vital tool in countless aspects of society. The data collected from such facial technologies is extremely valuable for numerous reasons, such as analyzing consumer behavior and creating advertisements. However, with the immense growth of facial recognition softwares comes ethical and legal lines of concern. Large corporations often take advantage of such data to increase or maximize sales. Computerized algorithm can mistake individuals to be someone they are not. Governmental agencies can learn of your political alliances. With new and emerging technological advances in AI, we must better understand the roles and ethics of privacy to ensure personal security. Hello, my name is David. I'm the editor of Think, and welcome to episode one of the Reading Podcast. Uh, we have... Nika, hi. Um, I'm based at the University of Malta and a writer for Think magazine. And our guest today will be Professor Alexei Dingley. Hi, I'm Alexei Dingley. I'm a lecturer at the uh, Faculty of ICT uh, within the Department of Artificial Intelligence. Excellent. So, Professor Dingley has you know, written a number of articles for Think magazine. Uh, the latest one is called What's Your Face Worth? So, if you want to read the full article, you can check it out on the, in the link below. Uh, but first, Professor Alexei, uh, would you be able to tell us a bit more about your background and your research? Sure. So, um, I've been working in AI for the past 20 years. Um, I've worked both in England and uh, in Malta as well. Um, uh, of course, now I lecture at the University of Malta um, uh, within the Department of AI, uh, within our AI courses. Um, I consider also myself as being an evangelist for, of AI. Um, I enjoy going to school and evangelize about the importance of AI, even because, of course, you know, AI is now the big thing. It doesn't mean that it's 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 something temporary, but but finally, you know, the world is, is moving towards AI. In the past year. Um, I've been also part of the Malta.ai task force, which was set up by government, and we created the Malta.ai strategy. Um, I have a number of AI projects going on um, in health, transportation, industry. Practically, the nice thing about AI is that it's a horizontal subject, so we tend to touch a little bit with all sorts of topics. So AI is definitely here to stay, it seems. Yes, definitely sure about that. <laughs> Perfect. So could you tell us a bit, when you say horizontal, uh, could you elaborate? What does that mean? Okay, it means that practically any application you can think of uh, can have an infusion of AI. So AI can be beneficial in practically all the application. Doesn't mean that AI is the silver bullet, you know, it will solve all the problems in the world, it's far from that. But um, I'm sure that AI can contribute in some way or another to practically any application you, you can think of. Okay, so like from healthcare to, uh, I don't know, to... Yes, no education. Uh, practically you name it and, and, and you can use AI. And the, the interesting thing about AI is that, you know, it's very much in use these days and people mm -hmm. just don't, do not realize that they're using AI. I mean, even over here, there's the air conditioner, you know, so the air conditioner is calibrating the temperature. So there's some sort of AI going on over there. It's, it's a very basic form of AI, of course, but, but you know, there's still some sort of, of automation brought forward by the computer. Um, if you take a car, an oven, anything, these days everything is infused with AI. Of course, the, you know, the, the, the issue with AI is that there isn't a label which says, listen, this thing has AI inside or whatever. So people do not realize that they're actually using AI. But in actual fact, we're very much dependent on artificial intelligence. Should we have that label? 
Um, uh, I think it would be hard to have that label simply because, first of all, AI is very sparse. So you get very simple algorithms like, I don't know, the, the algorithm of the of the air conditioner, which calibrates the temperature, to ones which are much more complex and decision-making algorithms. Um, so it's hard to define what is AI and where it starts and where it finishes. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit this, this, this blurry boundary um, bet- between the two. Um, so even though I think a label would help for awareness, at least people would realize that you know it's, it's not happening by magic there's a program and the program is in some way intelligently deciding what what actions to take but as i said it's very hard to 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 to, to have a label for ai mm-hmm. i mean i think one of the problems with ai as in not problems with ai itself but okay. the perception <laughs> of ai <laughs> uh, is that like when we say ai people start thinking of science fiction ai like these persona cores yes. like in massive spaceships or whatever and they just manip- and control everything i mean do you think we need to move up like our perception of ai is dictated by hollywood mm-hmm. predominantly yes um do you think that that's something like how would we go about changing that okay i think first of all that perception is positive because you know thanks to hollywood at least people know about ai that's true now the the problem with that is that sometimes hollywood portrays the wrong side of ai <laughs> so it's the ai which is going to take over the world killing everyone blah 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 the nasty <laughs> it's the nasty it's the ai interesting <laughs> <portrayal> <laughs> it's interesting but the most alarming as well so so you know ai is not really like that i mean it can become like that eventually but but you know so far it's not like that it's it's far away from being that um so i I think we should sort of inform more people and educate more people about, listen, what is AI? People need to understand more so that when they, they, they are faced with different applications, they can spot the AI inside it themselves. I mean, this takes us very nicely into our first topic, a question of awareness. Um, so one of the main points in our article, it was the importance of awareness. AI and facial recognition have already seeped their way into some of our daily lives. Now, we mentioned uh, the air conditioning units, for instance, mm-hmm. but can you give us some other examples of how AI is you know, mm-hmm. in our, incorporated into our daily lives? Yes, so first of all, I, I think the most obvious is the mobile phone. No? Mm-hmm. We all have a mobile phone, we all use a mobile phone. And these days, most mobile phones are unlocked using the facial recognition software. So practically, you, you gaze into your phone and the, 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 the software recognizes that it's you and it unlocks your phone. So I think that's the most common which people use. I, I really like that you mentioned like we gaze into our phone. It's like, you know, we're, we're enthralled by them. But well, well, nobody's looking at you really, you know, so <laughs> it is a case. Well, <laughs> if, if the government can unlock your phone, then is there someone else on the other side who is potentially looking at you? Well, uh, not really. I mean, uh, remember, I, um, these days, privacy is a big concern. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, companies like Apple and uh, uh, Android, uh, Google, they're very much concerned about these, these things. So they're very careful. In fact, uh, there, there have been cases where government was pushing Apple sort of to, to reveal certain personal details, even of terrorists, and they, they simply refused. Um, which, which I think to a certain extent it's, it's right, but, you know, there, there should be, I think, uh, a demarcation line sort of, listen, mm-hmm. When it's thing, something of national security, I think, you know, the issue of privacy shouldn't uh, be given that uh, that importance, uh, since of course, you know, lives are, are at stake in that in that case. But for the rest, I mean, we should be careful, sort of, that governments and corporations do not overstep that line, and and I think that's that's li- really the the big issue with them. Um, uh, but but back to your question. Um, uh, so there are others, for example, uh, something which is probably unknown, um, more 
than 10 years ago. Um, I, I actually used to work there at the uh, um, Employment and Training Corporation, which today is called Joplas. Okay. Um, back then, we used to register unemployed people with biometrics. Really? So yes, so every week it, it was a very innovative technology. Every week they they used to go to a certain center. We had five or six, I believe, located around Malta and Gozo. They would go and using their fingerprint, they would uh, register that they are still unemployed. Oh, wow. Um, uh, so, so so you know these things have been going on. Of course, you have to be careful how to implement them, and I think that's that's the issue because mm-hmm. like in this case, we when I say we when I used to work at the corporation, we didn't keep records of their fingerprints. But they had a card and the information was stored on their own card. So the fingerprint information was always with them. I see. Okay. So like that, we, we are ensuring that nobody can tamper with their, their biometrical information. And I think that's the approach to take. I mean, people should should have possession of their own information. It shouldn't be, uh, you know, at the mercy of the big corporations, uh, things like, like Facebook. No, I mean, uh, Facebook is a, is a big issue because, you know, it contains all of our data. And then the thing is that it's data which we give freely to Facebook and Facebook is making money over our data. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so, 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 you know, I think that is the line which, which one shouldn't cross, in my opinion. Uh, but of course, you know, if, if Facebook doesn't have the data, then it, can, it, it stops being Facebook as well. Uh-huh. So, so, so you have to see sort of how people are comfortable with giving that data and getting the service back. I mean, the thing is with, with let's jump on Facebook. Um, the thing is that we're we're not actually paying for Facebook as a service mm-hmm. with financial means. We're paying through our data. Exactly. I mean, so kind of by using Facebook, we give consent that our data is being yes, collected. Yes. yes. In fact, Facebook is nothing without your data. That's the big thing. I mean, think about it. If you, if all the people were to remove the data from Facebook, Facebook would be nothing. No, it has no that's, use. That's uh, also a very fascinating point. Um, what would Facebook look like without the data? Because I, I don't understand um, how Facebook wouldn't exist. Nothing. I, I mean, I, I actually remember it because I remember when I set up my first account. I think it was 2010 date, something like that, or seven. Um, and you know, you go into this Facebook. You still have no friends, so you have no connections, and you're not seeing anything on the feed. And I was asking myself, so what is this thing? <laughs> you know, and uh, the reality is Facebook is nothing. But it's not just Facebook, it's, it's the, the new corporations. Think about Google, Google search. Google search is nothing without your search data as well. So, so you know, the, these, these large corporations, um, they, they, they consume and live on your data. In fact, that's why we say that data is the new oil, mm-hmm. because it, it's, it's the, the thing which, which is fueling these, these huge corporations, and they're making money over it. But <coughs> if you do a search on Google and it doesn't have your search preferences, wouldn't it still come up with the list of results for whatever you type into the search bar? So let's say I, I want to read about Libya. Mm-hmm. And so I just type Libya into the search bar. And Google in this in this scenario doesn't have any of my data. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it still come up with a list of results for Libya? Yes, but not related to you. They and wouldn't be, sorry. That's, isn't that okay? Yes, as long as it doesn't have data related to you. The issue here is the issue of privacy. So if, if I don't share my data with Google, then data, Google will not have data about myself. But if I share data with Google, then da- Google is using that data to make links to other stuff. And it's also improving its own search engine. 
So mm -hmm. you are contributing to the improvement of that search engine. Right. You know, it's, it's, uh, Google is not just a repository of links. It's much more than that. Yeah. And it, it, the, the plus thing about Google, and that's why Google was successful, is because it, it manages to sort of map or take advantage over the structure of the web. The structure of the web is the links. Um, so the more links you have, so if I write an article about Libya and I have a link to uh, to something else, that link has value for Google. And in fact, the Google has an algorithm called PageRank and PageRank algorithm works precisely on those links and the value which, which are given to those links. So that's why I'm saying that you are adding value to the Google search engine. Mm -hmm. So in essence, when you type something, let's say about Libya or about, I don't know, cooking, let's say mm -hmm. Google, no, I've typed a number of times that I'm a vegetarian, for instance, and okay. then I type cooking recipes. Yes. Google is more likely to, you know, show me vegetarian cooking recipes, correct? Exactly, yes. But, but it's more than that, because imagine we do not know each other, mm -hmm. okay? And you really like the recipe about a vegetarian lasagna. Okay. okay? Oh, lasagna. Um, <laughs> 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 and I, Google knows that I am a vegetarian too. Most probably he will show me the vegetarian lasagna because you also like the, ver the vegetarian lasagna. Okay, so okay. depending how many people like it. Like it or in the case of Google, it's the links. Uh -huh. okay. Read it or uh -huh. follow through. Consume it. Uh -huh. Okay, so, so, so you know, there's that element as well of profiling which is happening underneath the hood. So Google is placing me inside a profile and it's showing me things things which Google think it, uh, that I like, okay? Which is not a bad thing necessarily, no, but, but, you know, but you know, I, I am contributing to that as well. And the more I use Google, the more Google gets to know me. And the more, of course, he, he it manages to improve that profile and use it for other people as well.
but doesn't this like I I think it's wonderful that for instance we live in a time where you know I search something and my computer or Google in this case is able to tell me information that I might be interested in but if we're to look at the big picture doesn't this make it possible that I stay stuck in my worldview let's say I you know I have you know political leanings either side left or right <laughs> then it's only going to show me um, for instance news portals or articles that reinforce my existing worldview so I'm going to be stuck reading about things that I already believe in and it's going to be much harder to see things that you know might change my perspective yes it's this yes, it's, it's true oh okay <laughs> no no <laughs> <All right. laughs> I, but, but I mean it's nothing new really I mean before you know before the internet it, it was the news that had the power no you watch the news and, and you were given the agenda of the, of the editor behind the, the, the news station Right now, that agenda went to Facebooks, to to Google, and to whoever because it's the algorithm that dictates what you, you're meant to see and what you're not meant to see. I mean, let me ju- okay because I mean, it, it happens every day on the Facebook feed, no? Uh huh. That's, it, that's it's the algorithm who decides what 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 is you're going to see on that feed. But you wouldn't go to Facebook to read your news, would you? Or well, most people do. So yes, it's the primary source of news. Well, that's that's a little bit scary. I'm going to be honest. Like the same place where my grandma posts pictures of her chihuahuas is exactly. the same place people go find news. Well, well, but I mean, for me, for example, it's I find really interesting links to articles. I don't use peop- what people are posting mm-hmm. as news. It's that I find interesting news to read by what's showing up in my newsfeed. Mm-hmm. But what what it sounds to me is that you're very right in the sense that we were very much stuck in our own poli- political leanings and our own perceptions before. Mm-hmm. It's not like the algorithms pulled us into a bubble. We, we exist in a bubble anyway. Yes. So maybe it's up to us as individuals to take on the responsibility of going up of going outside of our own perspectives. Of course, I mean, remember, there's a big issue with fake news. Yes, mm-hmm. very, um, unfortunately, a lot of people read something on Facebook, and for them, it's you know, um, it's the whole truth. It's gospel. And, and it's gospel, yes. And, and the worst part of that is that a lot of people just read the title; they don't even read the article. And then you have these these you know new, news news um, uh, media houses and stuff, and that's why they go for these cheesy titles that you know imply yeah. something which which they mean something else totally, uh, because they know that most of the people just stop at the title; they they they, they do not read the article, uh, and that's very dangerous. Um, uh, remember um, two things I wanted to add. One is that um, at the moment I. Believe believe in Australia there's an issue on, uh, on on news on the sharing of news on on social media because I believe the government wants Facebook to start paying um, media houses for for sharing their news because think about it Facebook are making money out of sh- the sharing of that news so the Australian government is saying why shouldn't part of that money go back to the media houses that are actually creating the news so so there's a big debate over there at the moment um, uh, and 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 secondly um, don't forget that Facebook is is just a big megaphone okay mm-hmm. so I go there I write whatever I think and and it's amplified to, to to tens or hundreds of people it depends on the message really so so that is what Facebook is and people do not realize that and before you said you know it's ev- everyone should take the responsibility but people have no idea of the responsibility I mean you see it from all the cases that are going into court now people just mm-hmm. saying rubbish online and they expect that you know nobody gets offended because it's their opinion everybody has a right of, of, of an opinion it doesn't work like that 
too. I mean, Facebook should be considered as, as another publishing source. It's as if I have my own personalized newspaper and I should be responsible for what I write on that newspaper. It's not, it's not just dumping trash all over the place. So, uh, so we have to be very careful. Another thing is that, you know, on Facebook and not just Facebook, it's just social media, mm-hmm. um, there's this culture of fakeness. No, I mean, if, if you go on Instagram, you see everybody on on their yacht, they're drinking champagne and <laughs> everything. <laughs> yes, it's not the real world. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd say, I'd call it inauthenticity, like in an, an existential yes, sense. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, think think on the other is we're very authentic when we're on Instagram. We only post things that we generally Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but to, I would agree. I mean, we, we do have to be aware of the things that we post online. And you know how we actually handle this data and how we consume it. But, but what we, we don't realize is that that is affecting people, because people are thinking that you know that is reality. They do not make distinction between reality and 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 the, the fake world. Let's mm-hmm. say the virtual world. The, vir- the virtual world. Um, even like another thing is that it's very common on uh, on Facebook, especially, um, to have these infinite ranting on their posts. You know, so, uh-huh. so you have these keyboard warriors, um, uh, and they they start uh, writing about saving the planet or, or in whatever. In all caps. In all caps as well. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but that's not real conversation it's not how the real world works i mean nobody um uh, speaks to somebody in, in monologues you know mm-hmm. there's a discussion <laughs> it doesn't work like that and uh, you know this person this these keyboard warriors or armchair critics are are, are happy because you know they, they contributed to the well-being of the world they're serve, saving the planet and they let off the chest of course <laughs> which in reality probably had no effect on no one uh, but, but, but it's 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 all, it's all this this fake culture which is which is not the real world i mean i i would say maybe it did have a slight effect on people like i do believe that every little thing that we do influences you know something somewhere somehow um but hold on dash because i jammed uh i'm thinking about someone who recently left facebook and they just left a post saying like oh, i'm leaving because this this and this it's like <laughs> i i don't announce that i'm leaving a room you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, the thing is, with Facebook, I mean, I think we should be uh, aware of the posts that we that we write. We have to be aware of like how our posts might influence people, and at the same time, we should be held accountable by ourselves. That is, not by someone watching over us. Yeah. Um, however, I want to go back into the the topic of of data because I think that's where, where the real meat is. Uh, we, we always hear like big data and the algorithms and you know this sort of stuff. But is big data in itself actually objective? Big data is objective as much as the data which it has. So okay. <laughs> um, uh, it, it all depends really, I mean, on, on what data you're consuming. So, so you know, the, the old uh, saying garbage in, garbage out. No, it's, it's exactly the same thing with big data. Okay. So, so you have to be very careful about uh, the initial data, that you have quality data, that you mm-hmm. have unbiased data, because bias is a very big problem at the moment. Um, but then again, you know, big data is a reflection of our world. So... I'm not surprised really <laughs> that there's biased data. I mean, if you go on Google Images and you search for doctors, most probably most doctors will be male. Now, if you search for nurses, most nurses would be female. But, okay. but, but you know, that, that's a bias in our society. It doesn't mean it's good or it's real, but, but you know, that's the bias. So if you get that data and you feed it into the algorithm, you will only expect 
the algorithm to, to, to reflect that data. Mm -hmm. um, so we have to be very careful when we're feeding these algorithms with data because they tend to learn um, uh, sort of these patterns and, and of course replicate them further. So if there's some sort of discrimination, um, then of course they will rep rep repeat that discrimination. There was the famous case of, um, uh, of Amazon where Amazon created this algorithm to recruit um, engineers. Um, so they came with this bright idea of using an AI to, to do the recruitment process. And um, they said, listen, we already have engineers working with Amazon. So let's take their CV, put them into the AI, train the AI, so that the AI will manage to find people that are similar to our engineers. Because, you know, if they work for Amazon, they're good engineers, and mm -hmm. this is the people we want. Uh, which was fine. Um, but what they did not notice, that, uh, that they, what they did not realize is that in the tech industry, especially in the US, 70% of tech engineers are male. So essentially, the, the, the algorithm was discriminating against female, and it was throwing away all the female CVs. Uh, I'm guessing they were white as well. I don't know about their ethnicity, to be fair, mm -hmm. but, but the gender was definitely. Yeah. With regards to their ethnicity, there, there was the famous issue of self-driving cars, no? That uh, it transpired that self-driving cars are more prone to, to hit and kill um, a colored person than a white person. So, 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 you know, these algorithms are based upon what you feed them, really. So yeah. if you feed them data which is biased, then, of course, they will be biased. So, in essence, it's not exactly, it's not the data or the algorithms itself that are wrong. It's more of they act as a reflection of society. Yes, uh -huh. um, that's why. But, you know, the data would be wrong in that case, in the sense that the data scientists should be careful to avoid these pitfalls. Okay. Um, sort of that's why I'm telling you it's not just a matter of get some data, feed it to the algorithm and get get an output. It doesn't work like that. I mean, you have to analyze a little bit the data, try to clean it and try to come up with with, with um, a balanced data set. Okay. In, in fact, just to give you an example, we had a pro project recently where we took close to six months just working on the data. And then the AI part was, was done in a few weeks. Okay. You mean the analysis or the method to collect it? It's both. Mm -hmm. um, so, so the collection, but then you have the cleaning of the data. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. have to see that it's correct data. It's not just any data. So, so what, I, what I mean is you shouldn't discard that part of the process because yeah. it's a very important part of the process. And if you, if you fail over there, then, of course, you'll have problems later on. Um, of course, we'll, we're not infallible, so there will be problems. But at least you try to limit as much the, 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 pro the problems. Are there scientists who um, aren't taking the time to uh, clean data after it's been collected? It's, uh, as I told you, it should be part of the process. Yeah. So it should be automatic. Now, if they do it or not, I don't know. But, but, but you know, at least us, when we deal with data, at least we, we, we try to analyze that data a little bit before we actually process it because of this, these biases. Mm -hmm. That's the end of part one. Join us next week for part two, where we continue our discussion about data whether we actually need privacy or not, as well as other tidbits, such as whether liking curly-whirly potato crisps means you have a higher IQ, and whether your taste in music dictates your political views. Our theme music is Kawaii Kitsun by Kevin McLeod, and the song in our music break was Eyeliner by Stenifer. <laughs>